here to worship God. I appreciated uh, Mark and Ben and Joseph for leading us in our worship. It was great to have Joseph lead us in the Lord's Supper for the first time. This time a year ago, Joseph and Jasmine didn't enjoy the salvation that we remembered in Christ. Knew very little about it. And we're here this morning to remind ourselves all of the salvation that we enjoy through Christ, the blessings that we have in Him, to remember His sacrifice that made it so. It is encouraging to be together to do that together this morning. We learn the story of David and Goliath from a very early age, don't we? We teach the kids about the, the song that has those five smooth stones that go up in the sling. I'm not going to sing it, but it goes round and round and round, remember? And it goes right and hits him and he falls down splat. You remember that song? The story is one that even non-religious people know. The story of the underdog who defeats the opponent. The but the story, I believe, has very important lessons for us. And even though we've probably known the story all of our lives... I believe there's some important lessons for us to learn from this story. One of these lessons jumped out at me this week, and I wanted to share it with you. Let's look in our Bibles. Turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's remind ourselves of the story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17. Would you begin reading with me at verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 17? Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered together at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Eli and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. From Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, maybe nine feet tall, kids, probably as tall as this ceiling or taller. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his, had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron uh, spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have, you come out into the uh, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these, wor the words, these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so we have the scene set. The armies, each on one mountain or one hillside with a valley between them, and this Philistine mocking them and saying, come out and fight me. And what a formidable foe he was. Verse 16, if you'll drop down to verse 16. And the Philistines drew near and presented, uh, the Philistine drew near and Philist presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, 
fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. For, the Israel, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, uh, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give him his father's house, exemption from taxes in Israel. Verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David, here's the challenge. I don't believe David is motivated by the savings he'd have on his taxes or even the king's daughter. I think he's motivated by God's honor and the fact that this Philistine is reproaching God. And drop down to verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Verse 32, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling in his hand. And he drew near the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore his shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you have come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds uh, to the, of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. What an incredible account. This morning I want to focus on what David said to Saul. When Saul tried to give David his armor and his sword, he said, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them, in verse 39. What do we learn from David in the story of Goliath in the battle with Goliath? The first thing that we learn is that we are facing a formidable enemy. Just as David faced Goliath, so we face an incredible enemy. When it comes to warriors, Goliath was the real deal. He would evoke fear in even the most seasoned of warriors. Notice what is said in, in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17. When they heard what Goliath was saying, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were shaking in their boots. In verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. There wasn't a whole lot of honor on the field that day was there when the Goliath came out. Nobody was really, you know, wanting to maintain their honor. They were not afraid to show that they were scared and run and hide. They were scared because he was that much of an opponent and of an enemy. And remember, these were accomplished warriors. In, verse, in chapter 18, after David is successful at defeating Goliath, and the Philistines have been defeated, they're taking their victory lap, if you will. And notice what the women say in, in verse uh, 7 of chapter 18. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. This wasn't the first battlefield that Saul had been on. This wasn't the first battlefield that the Israelites had been on. And yet when they met Goliath, they were scared. They were scared to death. He was a formidable foe. I want to tell you that we're facing a formidable foe in our lives as well. The devil is just as ominous as Goliath ever thought about being. And the devil ought to make us shake in our boots. He ought to make us scared because he is the real deal. In John 8, verse 44, we understand that the devil that we're facing is a murderer and a liar. John 8, verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. Can you imagine if there was a murderer in our midst right now? Would you be scared? Would you be afraid? I still remember when I was a kid. I remember it very vividly. It was a Saturday afternoon. My parents had taken us to a museum in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And it was time for lunch today. And we went to the Pizza Hut in Oak Ridge, Tennessee to eat lunch. This was back in the day when you could go into a Pizza Hut and eat. It was a restaurant. And it was a fairly dimly lit restaurant. And we ordered our pizza and we were eating it there. 
And some strange things started to happen. There was a rough group of men at another table in the restaurant. It was just us and that group of men. And all of a sudden, the manager of the restaurant, he walked sort of nonchalantly back to the fire escape door, the emergency exit, and he unlocked it. And he just went back and back into the kitchen and did his thing. And all of a sudden, in that back door and in the front door, bursts the police. And they come in and they rush to that table with their, their guns drawn to that table of men and they arrest them. We were scared to death. These were criminals and they were going to get them. And they arrested them right there in the Pizza Hut. I remember it was scary being in the presence of someone like that. We are dealing with someone who wants to kill us. He's a murderer. Not only is he a murderer, he's called a dragon and a serpent. Revelation 12, verse 19. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, and was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. He's called a dragon and a serpent. Those are scary animals. Have you ever been in the presence of a serpent? I remember as a young man, we were hiking up in the Big South Fork National uh, Recreation Area up in East Tennessee. And we were on the trail and somebody stepped over a rattlesnake. And that rattlesnake slid over into the grass beside the trail. And we were standing there. We could hear the rattles going. There was a snake in the grass right by our feet. And we didn't know where it was, but we could hear it. It was scary. You ever been around a poisonous snake? That's scary. The devil is a serpent and a dragon. And he wants to take us under his power. Look at Acts 26, verse 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The devil wants to take us under his power. He wants to take us captive. This week I was talking to a man who grew up in Germany. During the time of the Soviet occupation of Germany, you remember? You remember how Berlin was divided into two parts? And he said, you could go over into East Germany. He said, but it was a scary thing. He said, you had to walk, watch what you did. You had to watch your step. Because one wrong thing and they would take you captive. Can you imagine being taken captive? The devil wants to take us captive. And he's wanting to devour us, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. The devil is a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to eat you alive. He wants to destroy you. Do you remember those who have grown up of going to the circus and watching the lion tamer? Everybody was on the edge of their seat, weren't they? When that lion tamer went in the ring with those lions. Why? Because he could rip that lion tamer to shreds. The devil wants to rip you to shreds. We're dealing with a formidable foe. We need to understand that. He's a thief and he wants to destroy us. The thief does not come to accept to destroy and to, uh, to, to accept to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come, they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. The devil that we're dealing with has no intention. And no desire for our well-being. He wants to destroy us. And we need to be aware of that. We're dealing with a formidable enemy. And we need to never take that for granted who we're dealing with.
I want to tell you something else that we learn from the story of David and Goliath is that we can't use weapons against this enemy that we haven't proved or we haven't tested. In the face of this incredible opponent that David was facing, Saul did what is reasonable and what makes sense and is logical. He offered David his armor. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38 beginning. 1 Samuel 17, beginning verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. David was given Saul's armor. And why couldn't he use it? Why couldn't he use it in battle? You know, I think some have imagined, and you probably have seen pictures like this, that David couldn't use Saul's armor because it didn't fit. You may have seen the picture where Saul's helmet is on David's head and it's all crooked and hanging down over his eyes and he can't see. And he's got this breastplate on that's maybe three or four sizes too big and he's sort of, you know, hidden in it. And he's got these shin guards on that are dragging the ground and crooked. That's not why David said he couldn't wear it. Now, maybe it didn't fit perfectly, but that's not why David said he couldn't wear it. He said he couldn't wear it because he hadn't tested it. He hadn't proven it. This was an incredible battle that David is going out into, and David can't take a chance with things that he hasn't figured out how to work yet and hadn't tested them yet. He couldn't afford for something to go wrong. And we do this too, don't we? When we've got something big coming up with maybe something that we're unfamiliar with, we practice with it. Maybe you got something that you're wanting to catch of your kids doing on video. Maybe it's they're they're at bat in the baseball game, or maybe they're getting ready to give their big speech. You want to make sure you catch it on video. What do you do? You get the phone out. You make sure it's set just right. You may practice taking a video or two just to make sure because when the big event comes, you don't want there to be any surprises. You want to make sure you know how it works. You buy a new grill. You test it out, don't you? You don't test it out with those expensive steaks. You throw the hot dogs on there, or maybe the hamburgers. Make sure you know how it works before you put the big stuff on there. So it is with us in our lives. We're in a great battle against a formidable foe, and we need to make sure that we know how our equipment works. In Ephesians chapter 6, the passage that Mark read for us, and this thing's going to blink at me the whole time here. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you see it? God has given us the equipment in order to withstand the devil. He's given us that shield He's given us that sword. But if we're not testing and proving them, we'll be like David. We won't be able to take these into the battle because we haven't tested or proven them. 
You know, a lot of times I think people just sort of walk through life sort of haphazard, and when something hits them, then maybe they want to turn to the Bible and figure out how to deal with it. You haven't tested and proven it at that point. you got to test and prove it in order to be able to use it. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The writer here tells us, you've got to be using your tools. You've got to be testing them. If you're not testing them, they're not going to do you any good. Saul's armor was worthless to David. This will be worthless to us unless we're testing it, unless we're proving it, unless we're using it. I'm not going to be able to use the Bible to fight against false doctrine or error if I never open the Bible. Peter warned us about this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. As in also in all his epistles, talking about Paul, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which unthought, untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. These people couldn't use the scriptures as they were intended. And they were led away because they were unskillful. They were unlearned. They hadn't proven the tools that God had given them to fight the devil. You know, I'm not going to be able to use the Bible as a tool unless I'm studying it. Unless I'm applying myself to that. Psalm 119 verse 11 your word I have hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. God has given us the tools so we don't have to sin. He's given us the tools so we can fight against the devil, but I've got to hide it in my heart. It does no good here until it gets in here. I've got to be proving these tools. Psalm, according to your word. We've got to be testing. We've got to be applying God's word in our lives. And testing them and proving them is not going to be just a simple one-time process. Do it and you're done. First Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, Till I, give, I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will both save yourself and those who hear you. We need to be diligent about this. We have to give this a priority. We can't be successful at defeating the devil if we don't test and prove the tools and the weapons that God has given us to defeat him. But you know, I'm pretty busy. I got a lot of things going on at work right now. Things are pretty busy with the kid. We got a lot of things around the house. There's a lot of things going on. What motivation do you need 
You're in a life and death battle with an enemy who wants to destroy you. You have the weapons and the tools that you need to be victorious. What other motivation do you need? You just have to spend time proving and testing these tools. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We've got to give time to this. We've got to give priority to this. We have the tools. And you can't go with the tools unless you prove them, unless you test them. And let me tell you also, we learn from the story of David and Goliath that time is of the essence. The odds against, of David against Goliath. Notice what Saul says in verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17. Saul says, Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Saul said, David... You don't have any experience, and this man has lots of it. We like people with experience, don't we? When I get on a plane to fly, I like to see the pilot come in with a lot of gray hair. I don't like the pilot that looks like he just stepped out of pilot school, flight training. I like a doctor that's got some years on him. I don't want the one that's just out of medical school. In fact, I heard a, a man telling a story this week about he, went, he had to go to the emergency room and the nurse came in with a, with a medical student by, by her side and said, okay, he's going to be putting in the IV for you. And he said, no, he's not. I don't want him doing that. I want somebody who knows what they're doing. Saul looked at David and he looked at Goliath and said, you're not going to win. He's got the experience. Time is of the essence. It takes time proving and testing God's word. And we need to get busy at it. Hebrews chapter 5 again, verse 12 through 14. By this time you ought to be teachers, but you're not teachers. You ought to be skillful, but you're not. It takes time and you've had the time, but you're not there yet is what the writer is saying. Time is of the essence. We're in this battle and we need to be using, proving, testing these tools so that we're ready. And can we talk to parents? Parents, we need to be working with our kids to develop their experience with the Word of God. We've got to be diligent in training them. They are in the same battle that we're in. And we cannot afford to let them go untrained. Notice Timothy. Paul had such admiration for Timothy. Said that there was no one else that was as like-minded as him as Timothy was. Timothy was Paul's companion, and Paul thought so highly of him, but notice how Timothy was taught from a youth up. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, But you must continue in the things of known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Why was Timothy the man he was? Because he knew the Scriptures from childhood. It didn't happen accidentally. Timothy wasn't just born... The man that he was, no, it was intentional. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, or Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. Timothy had been taught. Parents, we must be teaching our kids. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
beginning of verse 6, you could cite this one from memory, probably couldn't you? But are we doing it? Deuteronomy 6, beginning of verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Uh, we must be teaching our children. All day, every day, we need to be looking for opportunities. And I can do better at this. Maybe you can say the same thing of making this a priority. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Are we doing just that? Can you imagine a parent, though, who neglected their child's secular education? Would you imagine what you would think of a parent who neglected their child's secular education because their priorities were out of whack? What about the parent who says, you know, Johnny, he's just been so busy with baseball. I, we're not having any time to learn how to read. Johnny does, Johnny's not going to learn how to read because Johnny's got too much baseball. Or Susie, you know, she's been just so busy going over to her friend's house and they've been having sleepovers and they've been doing movie nights with the kid, the family. You know, Susie's just been so busy she hasn't learned how to add, but that's okay because she's so busy. No parent would do that, would they? But are we doing that with our kids, with their spiritual learning and understanding of God's Word? And kids, this isn't just a responsibility for your parents. This isn't just your parents' job to be teaching you God's Word. You need to be working at growing and studying and learning more about God's Word. That's what Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1 says. This is not written to your parents, kids. This is written to you. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Kids, you need to be learning about God. You need to be learning about these tools that He's given us so that you can be victorious in the fight against the devil. Maybe those of us who are adults, maybe our parents didn't make it a priority for us, or maybe we have allowed our priorities to shift. It isn't too late. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We can learn God's Word. We can prove and test the tools that He's given us. We need to get busy, and we need to get busy now because time is of the essence. And I realize I've gone long, and time is the, of the essence for some of us today. But quickly, David teaches us here that we can be victorious just as David was victorious against his foe, so too can we. We are facing a formidable foe, but we've got the tools that we need, and we need to be 100% confident in the fact that we can be victorious. In Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 beginning, we looked at this last week. It is so encouraging. It was meant to be an encouragement to the Christians then, and it has been an encouragement to Christians throughout time. Notice the scene in heaven. There's not just one or two people that just happen to be there. No, an uncounted multitude of people 
who have been victorious, and we can too. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And they shall never hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. These people had been victorious. And you can be victorious. And they were victorious against this great adversary. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw you into prison, some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. And I'll give you a crown of life. They were fighting the devil. They were fighting the same devil that we're fighting. And they were faithful. And you and I can be faithful too. The list of victorious people goes on and on and on in the scriptures. Look at this real quick before we conclude. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead race to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of, tr of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, but they overcame and you and I can overcome. And they didn't overcome by using weaponry that was untested, by the way. Look at verse 39. All these have obtained a good testimony through faith, but did not receive the promise. They overcame by faith. And how do you get that faith to overcome? Romans 10, verse 17 Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, the tools that God has given us. They overcame. They were victorious, but they had to use the tool that God has given us. They had to prove and test the tool. And if we're going to be successful, we've got to do just the same. The story of David and Goliath is a story we teach our children, but it has incredible lessons for all of us. 
Are we using God's tools? Have we placed studying and learning God's word as a priority in our life? It is the only way, brethren, that we're going to be victorious. Listen to God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, there's no better time than right now to become one. If you're, not a, if you're a Christian not, not living as you should, would you please make correction of that? Would you let us know if we could help while we stand and while we sing?